Welcome back, everybody. You are listening to a special episode of See Through Panel, comic book discussion and review show. My name is Cole Harvey. I'm here with Fahed Rahman. Hello, everyone. And today we are joined by uh, Stephanie Cook. Stephanie is an award-winning writer, editor, uh, based out of Toronto. Um, she's a comic book fan, avid gamer, movie watcher, lover of music, and sarcasm. Uh, she has a purveyor of too many projects and thrives in chaos. Um, her writing has been fe- featured in Mark Miller's Miller World, Annual Wayward Sisters, The Secret Loves of Geek Girls, uh, Toronto's Comics Anthology, and more. Um, her debut graphic novel, Oh My Gods, is uh, when is it set for release? It's Stephanie? out now, actually. I think yeah. that's probably an yeah. old bio that I haven't yeah. updated. <laughs> yeah, so it's um, available now uh, and it's being published by HMH Kids. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. And um, she will also be having two further graphic novels being published. Fairly soon, it's actually in 2021, uh, Paranorman in spring 2021, and the sequel to Oh My God in autumn uh, 2021. So um, hello, Stephanie. Um, thank you for joining us today. Um, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. It's Saturday. It's the weekend. It's, you know, my time to catch up on all of the shows I didn't watch during the week. So I'm doing great. <laughs> good day. That's good to hear. Um, so, uh, well, just start ahead with the questions. So um, kind of the first question I'd, I'd like to ask is, how do you um, think the comic, the Canadian comic book scene is um, doing at the moment? I mean, all of the industries like are kind of hurting at the moment with the pandemic. Like it's, it's hard to kind of be like, everyone's thriving. No one's really thriving right now. You know, like, People are reading a lot, but that doesn't always necessarily, you know, equal success. Uh, That being said, you know, uh, creators in the Canadian comic book industry, I think, are some of the best in the world, in my completely biased, you know, uh, opinion. So I think, like, you know, we're all trying to kind of survive, thrive, and do what we can in the meantime, and... uh, you know, that's all any of us can really do. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I think that's kind of the that's kind of how a lot of industries are feeling now. So, yeah. Um. So my question is, I think a lot of readers we have a perception of what editing a comic means, and I, I hope I do. I think I do. But to you, what is um what is how do you edit comics just in general? Yeah, I mean. Editing is such a really unique thing to the comic book industry. You know, like my parents aren't comic book fans and like really are baffled that I work in this industry and like just like don't understand it. So like, you know, when I tell them I'm editing something uh, as prose book readers, like their mind is like, oh, you edit, like you look through, you're like looking through like just a script or, you know, a manuscript and Mm -hmm. giving feedback and correcting stuff. Uh, which I mean is part of it, but like with editing in comics, it's just so much more than that. Like, you know, you have scripts, uh, but you are also then comparing those scripts to several stages of art sometimes along the way, you know, you might work with one writer or one creator who writes and does all the art 
and that maybe narrows down how often you're going back and forth, but sometimes you're working with numerous people. Like I just wrapped up uh, the second volume of Tartarus at Image Comics with Johnny Christmas and Andrew Cronkay and Hillary Jenkins and Jim Campbell. And, you know, there's so many different you know, things that you have to stay on top of and schedules that you have to be accountable for. And uh, editing in comics is like also looking at the art to make sure that it reads like well and people are going to understand what's going on in the story and you know it matches the script and the lettering works and the colors are consistent and it's just such a interesting thing to edit comics versus editing virtually anywhere else that sounds like a lot of work i you are my hero <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Editors um, are like unsung heroes, like truly. Like I constantly like I'm so appreciative of my editors that I work with. And I think they're like baffled by it because I'm just kind of like, you're amazing. Wow, do this. <laughs> and like it's just because like I know like what they have to go through and the hoops that they, you know, jump through every single day to get a story made. And like to me, it's an incredible job and it's vastly underrated. Yeah, it's um, I you know I think you, know, you kind of you mentioned briefly there that um, there's no kind of one way of making comics. So it's kind of I imagine as an editor, kind of adapting to kind of like different teamwork dynamics, different script formats, um, and all that sort of thing must be quite challenging. Yeah, <laughs> imagine, yeah. yeah. Like there's no one set like way to tell a story or like to write a script specifically in comics. So you do get like a wide variety of styles when you are working. Like I, I take on freelance projects and I work with creators kind of at every level. And that's how it's been since the start of my uh, editing career. Like I've, you know, always kind of worked with a really big array of talent that has uh their experience levels again vary. So it's interesting to see the different takes and the different ways people tell a story and tell specifically a comic book story. But it's also sometimes incredibly daunting to just not have that one universal format and kind of just like have to kind of go through that sometimes with newer creators and help them also, in addition to everything else you're doing, kind of help them with formatting that's going to help their collaborators later on. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, um, uh, <laughs> Cole, um, uh, which question should we put to her next? Should we ask her about the scripting <laughs> process or do you want me to go on to the next one in the list? I like to know about scripting process. <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah. This, um, so, um, uh, yeah, if you want to put that question to her, then, then Cole. Yeah, so yeah. just as a reader, I know there are several types of formats, and I'm sure there's a huge array of styles, but um, what is your personal, uh, as a writer, uh, what is your format? Do you try to um, pick, and is that come from you as an editor, do you think, your format that you've created? Like what I use, like when I write, you mean? Yeah, when you're <laughs> writing, not editing, yep. Yeah, like I've definitely... I, I think I, I run a website as well called Creator Resource. It has like a bunch of 
tools and kind of stuff there. I think I have some sample scripts kind of up there. Maybe I don't. If not, I will maybe do that. But <laughs> um, like I kind of have a mishmash script of some of the things that I've seen over the years. Like I spent a good chunk of time in advance of actually ever writing something, kind of talking to other creators and especially artists to get their feedback on what are some best practices when it comes to scripts. Like what do they like to see? What do they want to hear? Or like, what do they want to kind of see and have covered when it comes to being handed a script? And so like Jim Zub has a really great uh, like script example up on his website. Fred Van Lent has what I think is kind of the unofficial standard. And uh, I've taken kind of points from both of those and uh, then just kind of integrated things that I've found out from artists along the way. So like I write long form mostly right now. Uh, mm -hmm. I do love a good short story, but you know, like now I kind of predominantly I'm working on projects that are typically like 200 pages long at least. Uh, so, you know, I break things down into chapters and I have like a format, but the thing that I really like to do so that artists can easily reference stuff is like, for each chapter, I write like chapter one and then dot whatever page we're on. So if it's like page one, chapter one, it's like 1.1. 1 .1. And mm -hmm. then like throughout the rest of the script, it's like page 1.2, page 1.3, like that sort of thing. And then for chapter two, it's like chapter 2.1, et cetera. But the point of that is it makes it really easy for me then in like later on in the chapter be like this page mirrors chapter 1.1 panel three and a cha uh, an artist can easily then control f and type in 1.1 and jump to that section immediately okay so they're able to easily find like specific reference points um so that's like something i've found extremely helpful from uh for writing long form so that it's easy to jump around for artists. Um, I don't know if that's even really like yeah. what you were kind of getting yeah. at. Yeah. I mean, it, like, it's, I mean, because I write comics myself and really the format that I use depends on the artist mm -hmm. that I'm working with. So yeah. with the first comic I, I wrote, it was basically a short film. It was, it was, it was a film script because uh, John, the guy that I was, I was working with, he felt that gave him the freedom to panel out and lay out the pages the way that he wanted. But other artists that I've worked with want detailed panel layouts with angles and everything else. And then other artists are kind of like, well, give me um, the number number of panels on the page and the dialogue and like mm -hmm. quick description. So I think it depends on like the team dynamic yeah. that you're, you're working with as well. And it's always good to talk to like a creator beforehand if it's possible to ask what they prefer, like how much description they like, how much kind of like direction. I try and kind of have a middle ground where I'm giving them enough like information, but I'm not over dictating what needs to be on the page. Like I, I just want to give them, you know, what absolutely needs to be there and then give them the freedom to kind of interpret that a bit. Like I, I know a lot of people who do use the screenwriting format 
And like, for me, that's too formal. I don't enjoy writing in that way personally, but I do know that's also very much, you know, there, there's a big crossover between comic creators and like TV and film. And that's uh, for a very obvious reason that the format can be extremely similar. So I, I get that inclination to kind of use that terminology and the angles and the shots and stuff to kind of translate to comics. But I personally, I personally do it a little less formal, I suppose. Yeah. Kind of since you've had the, your first um, kind of book published by HMH, how has that changed the way that you approach writing in terms of, has it um, had a big, big effect or um, has it you know, affected your process and processes at all? Um, I don't think so. You know, like, I think there's a certain degree of, as a creator, you should always be like learning and growing and changing things as you kind of discover new ways that help you and help your collaborators. But I think like my scripts, like I personally find them pretty easy to, like the way I lay them out to be easy for me to kind of navigate and uh, I've worked with HMH kids a few times now and like they've gotten used to how I kind of use or to how I tell stories and like I have a pretty like I guess consistent way right now that kind of just it's tried and true it gets the job done and it's clear and concise and you know like I don't feel the need to kind of change the format of that too much like uh, as far as storytelling goes too, you know, like I, I mean, you always grow as a creator and how you write and what the stories, how you tell those stories changes and evolves, but like, you know, it, it, and like, it's taken years for like a couple things to come out. And like, by the time you get to that, like, you're like, oh, I would have done this differently now. And I would have done this differently. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's kind of a weird thing. Cause like, it takes so long to make a comic. But yeah. like, as far as kind of my process goes, I like outline really, really heavily in advance. And then I just kind of like write it all out, like after I have the bones and the skeleton of it. So, you know, that so far hasn't changed a ton. Yes. Okay. That's, that's, that's fascinating. Um, <laughs> kind of the, if it ain't broke, don't fix it approach, which I agree with. Yeah. And you know, like, if I work with an artist at any point in time and they're like, hey, I want this to be something that you add in if you can. Like the artist's job is so hard and like it's so, you know, it, it takes so much time. So I'm never gonna say no to that. Like I'm always gonna be open to feedback. I'm always gonna be open to hearing what my collaborator collaborators want me to do for them. And maybe if I try something new, it's like, oh, this is really cool. I like doing this. And maybe it changes then. But so far, I haven't had a need to kind of adjust that other than, again, small tweaks here and there. So, yeah, again, <laughs> try and yeah. true. Um, so, oh, yeah, go ahead, Cole. Um, so I have a question. I think you probably already answered it, and I know what you're going to say based on your <laughs> other things. But um, uh, so for comic creators of any kind, there's usually a collaborative um it's not like writing a novel. You have to collaborate a lot more. You're working with other people a lot more. 
do you like that that uh, approach? Do you like collaborating more than if if you could say just make a comic by yourself? Do you enjoy that more? Do you think? Yeah, absolutely. Like I do doodle. Like I have fun kind of drawing on my own, and I like telling my own kind of small stories every now and again. But like I could never do what an artist like in a long form capacity does. You know, like it, it takes so much time. It takes so much skill and talent and as nice as it would sometimes be to just be able to guide my own vision and tell my own story in full i love collaborating with somebody else i love giving somebody like character descriptions and a scene and seeing somebody else interpret my words and bring that to life like that is never not magical to me and every way, shape, and form. Like, my editor will send me pages and be like, do you have any feedback? And I'm like, I've got like twinkle eyes. Like, I'm just like, no, it's beautiful. Like, I'm honestly just fully in awe every single time I see what somebody else has done with something I wrote. And I I think that's the best part about comics is the collaboration and the fact that you get to work with somebody else who helps bring this vision to life and becomes a part of the story for readers to enjoy. Like that is hands down, like my favorite part of it. That's, that's really interesting. Um, so you've, your, your, um, your, your graphic novels uh, come out. Um, and this is a question we, we put to um, Francois Vignoles uh, uh, as well. And um, last year, so what is it like, releasing a book during lockdown i imagine it must be kind of quite frustrating um it's your first graphic novel mm-hmm. um i imagine you had you know we you know i know if, if i was uh, having my first graphic novel pub, um published i'd be kind of imagining going, going down mm-hmm. to comic book fairs and bookstores and doing tours and things like this <laughs> i was just wondering what that experience has kind of been like for you yeah it's really hard to be honest like i'm a big convention goer and I've spent like years networking and going to these conventions and just like dreaming of the day that I would have my own booth and my own stuff and I would get to like show people what I've done and you know like that's definitely something that has been a long time aspiration so like for my book came out um in January and in Toronto where I am we were in lockdown So like, I only got to see my book on a shelf, on a store shelf for the first time about like two weeks ago. (laughs) Uh, So like, it had been out for like almost two full months before I got to see it. And I saw it at like the first major bookstore like this week on like Wednesday. So it's it's really surreal. Like it it sucks in a lot of ways because like I have spent, years in retail like I have like a decade of retail experience and I've worked at friends booths before and like I'm a really good salesperson (laughs) (laughs) like I know if I was at a table and I know if I had the books you know I could get it into people's hands and so it's frustrating to not be able to you know do that and have that interaction with people and to talk to maybe kids who have read it. And, you know, like I love 
that part of storytelling and comic writing I say that like I'm also deeply introverted I have like a war with myself constantly like I'm extrovertedly introverted like <laughs> I I'm extremely on when I'm out and about and I'm happy but then I just need, need a week to like not talk to anybody and like live in a hole but like I I just I, I've done so much kind of schlepping of comics before uh with short stories and anthologies that I've done and you know I really wanted that experience with my own books and hopefully someday that'll happen but it's really just not the same thing to be doing like zoom stuff and virtual events where it's like a book launch like it doesn't feel as real like it I don't I don't want to say it diminishes it in any way like I still feel accomplished I still feel really proud of the work we've done and you know the fact that we have a book on shelves but like there's definitely some degree of separation that like I kind of feel was almost kind of like taken from us in a way you know like it's it's hard to not feel a little bit sad that I don't get to have that moment with like our debut book yeah I can imagine it must be very very difficult yeah the whole process I assume is entirely different just for this past year um, really unfortunate, but I mean, you put the book out and you've got a second one coming out. So I'm sure things are going very well. So that's good. Yeah, it's, it's exciting. Like, uh, Paranorthern's out in July and, uh, I'm, I'm it, it's a lot of like right now with, Oh my gods, I'm doing a lot of like legwork to kind of make connections with more bookstores and, you know, all of these places, that like the comic market doesn't necessarily have as big a connection to. Mm. And it's like, you know, I'm, I'm trying to learn the ropes more of launching a virtual book so that I'm like even more prepared for Paranorthern and I can kind of like adapt to that situation and, you know, hopefully have a different experience, you know, ideally maybe by the time, Oh my God's two is out, which is was fall but it's in january it's going to be like a year after the release of the first one hmm. but like maybe by then i will be able to do like an actual for real book launch yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah but it's like i'm not hopeful for the rest of this year yeah. uh, i'm just again gonna have to be like resigned to be grateful that i just have things coming out into the world which makes it sound like i'm not exceptionally grateful it's just you know one of those things that you wish you could be around people to celebrate yeah, with them i think it's kind of it's almost a little bit like um like you know last year when liverpool won the uh their first premier league title <laughs> but they weren't able to kind of share it with the fans <laughs> and it's kind of like well we've done yeah. this amazing thing but it's kind of like it should be kind of um like a, a group activity in some way so yeah i can i, I totally I totally get that. Um, so just uh, talking a little bit about the um, about the book. So it's, it's kind of based on um, uh, Greek mythology mm -hmm. and kind of recently in the past couple of years, there's been a lot of re-examination um, of the, the Greek myths. You know, I'm thinking of books by um, like Circe by Madeline mm -hmm. Miller or A Thousand Ships by um, uh, Natalie Haynes. And I was just wondering um if those re-examinations influenced 
your adaptation of those myths to this um of this uh of 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 of, of your graphic novel and um maybe a follow-up question to that would be it's kind of what are your kind of like current favorite greek myth adaptations that kind of maybe also influenced the way that you went about um approaching the story yeah i mean i don't think like the the thing is and i've touched on this like a little bit but like graphic novels take a really long time to make and even before that this concept was something that was in the works for like years uh so we had the seeds of this before not like you know before anybody like clearly it was something that was like making a comeback and like lots of people were permeating like on greek mythology but like we definitely had this idea going for like a really long time and we're just kind of like in our own bubble with it and it's funny because like you put the idea out there it gets like picked up and you're working on it and then all these things like start coming out and you're like oh god they're gonna cancel my book there's like too much greek mythology <laughs> stuff out there but like that was also a reason why it took so long to get picked up in the first place you know like in a market an industry where Percy Jackson exists, like the question constantly gets to ask to creators, like, why should we pick up your book when this is already a wildly successful franchise that deals with them? It was like a huge thing of feedback from like so many different publishers. Um, so like, I don't think we ever really kind of like picked from like stories, like reimaginings or anything of like Greek mythology, like that wasn't something that we drew inspiration from. Like for me, TV shows like Clone High and books like Lumberjanes and, you know, uh, like kind of just like silly, fun, whimsical things were kind of the big inspiration for how we told that story and the voice we told the story in. And the myths themselves, we were just like really big Greek mythology fans. So like, I have been reading Greek mythology stories since I was like a kid and like I was probably they were probably way too adult for me but like I loved them and they just like stuck with me over the years and I've always known that I wanted to do something in that sandbox uh so you know like I never kind of looked at other stuff and was like what can I do like that pulls from this and this and this but that being said, um, you know, like I like have caught up on a lot of <laughs> Greek mythology related stuff since like we finished up with the first and second book. And it's so hard to like watch and read and play things and not be like, oh, that's so cool. I wish I did that. <laughs> oh, like it's really difficult. And to kind of your follow up, like uh, like Laura Olympus by Rachel Smythe oh. is so good it's amazing it's, it's so good and like the way she just like sticks to so much of the core mythology and like i read that and it's almost painful how good it is <laughs> and i just i'm such a big fan and you know like I, i'm a big video game player too and assassin's creed odyssey is just like an intersection of all the things I love. Like, I love the franchise. And they just were like, what if we made this exact game for Stephanie? Like, what if? <laughs> and then they went one step further and were like, what if we made that exact game for Stephanie 
And then we made it sillier. And they did like <laughs> Immortals Phoenix Rising, which I am in love with. And uh, I've also been playing Hades on oh. the X the Switch. And like, I I beat it a while ago and it's, I do not do this. Like once I'm kind of done with a game, I'm usually done with a game, but like I keep going back. I love it. It's like, the best. <laughs> it's so good. The, I just like, beat it I, like two weeks ago. It's so good. And like, I'm not really a dungeon crawler kind of person. Like I do play them, but like, it's definitely not my kind of favorite like genre, but like the character designs, the music, the story, like, it's all so rewarding and addictive and like you don't have to play it for long like you can do one run through and like it's so good i beat my best time today it was so satisfying like oh. <laughs> it's awesome what's your favorite weapon um i don't want to be judged here uh it's the gun <laughs> oh okay okay i like the gauntlet like my friend I kind loves of, it yeah, yeah the gauntlet and like i'm I, I just did my that the run that I just finished that was my best is with the spear. So my best runs with like, the spear too. <laughs> ah, yeah. My friend's trying to like convince me that the arrow is very good, but I don't know. I'm yeah. not buying it. It's Same. okay. So you gotta charge it up. It takes too much time. Yeah, I just want to like. <laughs> it's really just satisfying to just you know hack and slash and button mash. <laughs> so good, but yeah, I think. Like, you know, you also mentioned uh, Cersei, too, as far as, like, books go. I dabble in, like, a lot of different things. I re I'm reading a book called Lore right now by Alexandra Brackham. I'm basically steeping myself in, like, Greek mythology since I haven't had to write uh, it for, like, a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I was actually curious. Um, you said earlier you kind of you were looking at these things to put into your, for tone wise, to put into your book and you, you like these whimsical things. And I've definitely noticed that looking at both the things you've written and edited, there's a definitely through most of them, there seems to be this very whimsical tone, very, it's very different from, let's say the edgier other side. People appreciate comics for different things, but I seem to think yours is kind of in the bracket with the people that like a little bit of camp. They like that whimsical element. They don't want it too close. Um, what do you think about that kind of tone? Like what made you go for that kind of tone in your work? Yeah, like I think I just, like that's just kind of how I am as a person. Like I'm very naturally drawn to just like telling stories about my life. I'm very drawn, like I have a weird magnet, like the biggest weird magnet. And so, you know, even with like my friend group, like I tell stories in a very specific way. And uh, I think I have like a very kind of dry, sense of humor and kind of like I, I love dad jokes and puns so you know like I think there's just a kind of there's a lot of me in my stories you know there's some people who try and kind of disconnect themselves and kind of just like be like how would I tell this story as this person and like I like to do that but also kind of just infuse bits of me into that and I think that's just kind of like is how I am. I'm very like, I, I definitely have ADHD. I'm all over the place. And I just love, I, I'm easily excited about stuff. I am passionate about things. And I bring, I try and bring that into the stories too. You know, like 
I like telling stories about characters and what they're kind of, you know, what they're going through and what they're into versus kind of focusing on a theme and telling a story around that. Like I find themes come up kind of organically when you tell a good story around like well-rounded characters. So I don't know, like I, I think I just try and infuse like a lot of my world and like what kind of stuff I've gone through into stories, even though they're fiction and fantasy and all that stuff. And I'm drawn to those stories for editing that kind of play on that too. And, you know, people who are like clearly kind of in touch with like their inner child and just really like having fun telling stories are, you know, things that I'm passionate about. <laughs> so um, you mentioned there that you, you like, you like your bad jokes. I was just wondering if you've got any um, bad jokes that you'd like to, to tell us. Oh no. <laughs> um, hmm. Okay. Skeleton walked into a bar and says, I'm going to need a beer and a mop. I don't know. Okay, oh, it took me so long. Oh no, I'm dumb. Oh no. I was like, why does he need the mop? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I mean, I've I've got like a, a couple of standby um, <laughs> book related one. So um uh while uh while uh, preparing for this um uh an in for the interview today um I was doing um a bit of reading um. Uh, unfortunately, a book fell on my head. Uh, I blame I blame myself. I blame myself. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, this is not nice. my bracket of humor. This is <laughs> yeah, 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 I, yeah. I, I um I inherited a, a lot of my um uh, uh comic books from my um uh, my older brother. Um, a lot of them had their their last page missing. Yeah, I had to uh, draw my own conclusions. <laughs> i'm yeah i'm like a big fan of dumb jokes like i used to do about a podcast as well like on comics years ago and my co-host like loathes them so like we're we're still friends and like every single time like a pun comes up i just like send them to him like i text him and he's just like stephanie <laughs> like i can hear his voice still even though it's just like through text i can hear his like disapproval and it like brings me joy <laughs> i wish he were here to help me to yeah. stand by my side here. <laughs> i'm sorry i'm sorry <laughs> oh no <laughs> um so you you've talked a little bit about your work um uh, as an editor i was just wondering you know, when you when you're writing the uh, writing kind of when how do you decide when on whether or not to kind of accept editorial notes from from the editor that 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 you're um that you're working with? How, you know, is that a, a difficult thing to kind of like do, or kind of does it depend on um, what what they're asking you to change? I mean, for me, notes and integrating notes is definitely the hardest part of the process for me, like. I I definitely take like at least double the amount of time to edit versus like to write a story at least like it just takes me so long but um that being said I have a fantastic editor I've worked with this woman named Lily a few times now and she's brilliant and 
the first time like we had a call you know like it, w- it was kind of like I don't know if I'm going to be your editor this is how I envision the story and can you envision kind of me asking you to change this and this and this and like they kind of have a conversation with you before you even kind of sign up to kind of gauge whether wh- what direction they want to go in is the direction you want to go in. So you don't have to kind of do anything with your story that you don't want to do, you know? Uh, so then like once you are in it and you're working with them, all notes are kind of like, it's prefaced when your editor sends notes that you don't have to integrate changes. But at the end of the day, like I said earlier, like editors are unsung heroes. Like they see what you can't see because you're too close to a story. Like you've sat with it for too long and you're not objective. So when an editor is giving you notes, it's because something isn't working. And you can, when I get them, I'm initially a little bit like, you know, Oh, there's so many notes. Oh, we have to change this. Oh, they want to kill this character. And not like kill a character, but like, it's like, this character serves no purpose. Get rid of them. So I call them killing it off. But they're just being ridden out of existence, which now sounds worse that I say it like that. (laughs) But like, you know, like it's like with Paranorthern, I had a character in there and like, I literally wrote them in to be a bad joke. Like it was like, oh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail joke. And I was so pleased with myself. I was just like, oh, I'm so funny. And like, my editor was like, why don't you make that character, this character instead? Because they already have a connection to the main character. And I'm like, I don't want to kill them. This is so funny though. And then like, you know, five minutes later, it's like, no, that's a valid note. That's a good note. I should have done that. (laughs) And so like, sometimes it's hard to let things go but you have to kind of process the notes that you're given and decide what's worth fighting like for and what isn't. Most of the time, an editor isn't dictating things that they don't like. You know, like it's not about that. They're they're being as objective as they can. They want you to tell the best story possible and they're giving you feedback so that you can do that. So you can certainly push back on things, but... I think the more open you are to feedback from an editor who is also a collaborator in my eyes, uh, the better your story is ultimately going to be. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. Kind of a trust-based thing. You gotta, you gotta see where they're coming from and kind of understand that they're on the same page as you. Yeah. And there are bad editors out there. Like, you know, there are people who are like, I want this, like, I want this to be changed. I don't think this works. And, you know, they're not doing it for the right reasons. And there are people who have bad experiences with editors and don't like working with editors. And, you know, fine, if you've been burned by an editor like that, I get it. But I think largely, a good editor is essential to your process. Like, no matter what stage you are in your career, having a second set of eyes, an objective set of eyes, is going to make whatever you work on better. And that is supposing they are a good editor, but like, you know, I'll preface it again with a good editor will make your work better. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That makes sense to me. Um, <laughs> I was actually curious, you mentioned earlier, can you tell us a little bit about uh, Creator Resource and what that's what it is, what it's about? Yeah, 
It's like my passion project. So like when I first started getting into the industry, it was pretty like there was a lot of walls up. There's a lot of just like people didn't talk about things as much. And it was hard to really figure out what to do, where to go, how to start. And the more I talked to people, the more I realized that was like something that was unanimous. And there was just kind of this like, well, I figured it out along the way. I had like a mentor and all this stuff. And like, I connected with this person. But like, that's not a feasible situation for everybody. Not everybody has the ability to go to conventions and network and find a mentor. And, you know, I wanted to create a place where how to kind of navigate the industry and what the industry was all about. And just as many points of view as I could kind of get, uh, you know, I wanted to put those on a site to help people understand the industry better, first and foremost, and break down kind of like the transparency issues with the industry and hopefully thrive. You know, like there's a lot of different avenues now in comics. There's like webtoons and tapas and web comics generally. And, you know, in addition to self-publishing and, publishing at one of the like comic houses and there's the book market. There's so many different facets to the industry and how to break into it. And I want to give people the tools to do that at any level and not have to kind of rely on, you know, like a network that they might not have access to. Yeah. I completely understand you. Where you're coming from? So I'm based in the UK, and um, our comics laureate um, recently, well, last year, did a UK comics creator survey, and like the mm-hmm. results from that were absolute. You know, you know, when you're not surprised by something, but it's still kind of like devastating anyway. Yeah, it's kind of yeah, the, yeah. the amount of um, people that see creating comics as kind of like their vacation but can't earn a living from it is like horrendous it's like horrendously low low number and um so they they did a series of workshops kind of addressing kind of how can we get more people engaged and i think one of the good side effects of lockdown has been that um people that wouldn't go to comic book fairs or create these networks at those sorts of events have been creating those um those those networks through virtual conferences and stuff because you know it's they feel a little bit more comfortable it's not as an intimidating mm-hmm. an atmosphere to attend so i think there, there have been kind of like good things like i'm on part of um work in progress comics based out of london and like it's a london-based comic creating community but we get people coming into the zoom calls from manchester and spain and all these sorts of different areas so it's just i think that's that has been kind of like one good aspect kind of like the, the the lockdown thing is kind of maybe it's opened up the space a little bit more yeah and you know i think it's also like you touched on something too where people were kind of like talking about how creators couldn't kind of earn a living like on this. And it's important to kind of talk about that specifically, that angle in a bigger way. Like I, for instance, have a full-time day job still and I edit and I write comics, you know, like I, I juggle numerous things constantly. And I think it's important for people to know that like the industry 
especially right like off the bat doesn't pay very well and like you just have to like I don't want to say you just have to love it like you should get paid too like that's not you know what I'm kind of getting at otherwise but like it's it's an industry that makes itself hard to be sustainable in terms of kind of like thriving and living in and uh I, I agree like I think like being in lockdown has definitely opened up a lot of doors to kind of help people network and have those conversations and real conversations about the industry and how you know like you can how you can find your own place in it too and everything it's it's really scary that you're saying that because like the united states north american comic book market is so much larger than the market in the united kingdom and it's just Mm -hmm. kind of like this this thing where you if you're a creative person you're just kind of well you know it's kind of you know with the same with actors or musicians or whatever it is it's just kind of well of course you're going to be paid less money for the skills that you've developed over this period of time and i think you know especially during lockdown people have turned to stories turned to music turned to books and i think there needs to be a, a reckoning about how we reward uh, financially the people that basically got us through this period mm-hmm. do you know what i mean so it's just yeah I do. yeah yeah and and i don't mean to be disheartening like yeah. you know like it's it's just one of those things where you kind of have to be realistic like i i i'm fully in you know like on every artist and creator side where it's just like we need to get paid more we need to like make a living wage like we need to be taken seriously it's just like we're in this place where we're working on that and like the advocacy is there and change is slowly happening but you know like realistically i don't have the means to live off of my work and like i think like i've had like a moderate amount of success so far but you know like it's it's really not enough you know like it's it's hard to kind of make a living and at the end of the day though i think it's also very important to note that like wow again we should get paid for what we do first and foremost you should be making stories for yourself you should always be your own number one fan like if you're not having fun writing your stories if you're not enjoying what you're telling like it it's going to show in what you do and i think it's an important lesson as a creator to kind of just like make sure I mean, ideally, obviously, it's we want to have commercial success and like that we can afford to live off something that we want to make our careers. But I think it's an important lesson, first and foremost, too, to just make sure that you are telling, you know, stories that you want to tell. Just out of curiosity, I asked most people we talked to about this uh, during the lockdown and just recently in general. Uh, what have you been digging on in terms of comics? What have you been reading lately? Yeah, I'm the worst, like, so (laughs) I used to, again, I did a comic book show for like four years. And whenever we interviewed people, and I'd be like, I would ask this question, I'd be like, what are you reading right now? And they'd be like, Oh, my God, I'm so busy. And I'd be like, wow, I hope I'm never this person. (laughs) Like, and (laughs) I am partially this person. But like, I, I've been trying to kind of like read a lot of prose. And like, my goal this year is reading 
all of the physical books I own that I haven't oh. read yet. <laughs> oh, good luck. That's so I've given myself like a really insurmountable task and my bedside table is like anxiety tower is what I'm going to call it now. <laughs> but like that being said, you know, I do still read comics. Uh, and like, I, I love the medium. I read a lot of middle grade and YA right now. Cause it's just like a lot more, fun and kind of like low stakes for me. Uh, and so like, what am I, what did I currently just finish? I finished reading a comic recently called Timo the Adventurer, uh, which is like a delightful graphic novel. Um, it was just like released not too long ago. Uh, I think it was published in France first and they just released the English edition of it. Um, I just finished reading Bloom by uh, Kevin Panetta and Savannah Ganesho. Um, Shirley and Jamila Save Their Summer by Jillian Gores, uh, which is set in Toronto, and it's a delight. Um, uh, I read Girl Haven by Lila Sturges and Megan Carter. Uh, One Year at Ellesmere by Faith Aaron Hicks. I've been reading a lot of, like, Canadian creators. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, yeah, like I, I've been trying to kind of go back through like some of the uh, Wave 2 TKO Studios comics, uh, oh, like yeah. The Banks was really great by Roxanne Gay and uh, Ming Doyle. And uh, City of Secrets I read recently, too, by Victoria Ying. Okay, that's a lot of stuff that's going to go on my list now. Yeah. Sorry, that's like so many things. I'm like looking, I, I was like bringing up what I've been reading, but... Yeah, they're all like, like some of them, they vary. Like, you know, there's a couple of like middle grade things. There's a couple YA things in there and a couple adultery, adultier things. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but I, yeah. I like reading like a variety of stuff. Like I really love like different storytelling and I love, you know, reading like, like adaptations of like French stories kind of, and like European comics in general that get over here are really interesting to me. Cause like, you know, there's a lot of really great different ways that they tell stories. I'm trying to think there's like this other comic that I just read not long ago. I'm like, if, if my sound gets weird, I'm like looking yeah, behind yeah, me yeah. at my bookshelf. Cause <laughs> I can't remember what it's called and it's stunning. Hang on. Oh, the golden age. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> it's so good. And I just, like, there's just this different style to, like, a lot of, like, European comics that is just, like, that you don't get here. Like, we definitely have beautiful comics in North America. Like, don't get me wrong. But, like, storytelling is different all over the world and to every single creator and I think it is deeply important as a creator to explore those and to try different things and to try creators work from like all over the world to see what people do and how they tell their stories so yeah yeah um I was, I was listening to one of your um previous interviews i think it was oh, i can't remember who, who it was um i can't remember who it was but you kind of mentioned their kind of uh stop you mentioned stop reading you stopped reading um the walking dead because it just yeah. got kind of a little bit too heavy and kind of um you know collecting single issues and 
things like that just because you know and having to kind of having that refresh and having that variety in the type of stuff that you're that that, that you were um reading is uh kind of really important as well so yeah it's kind of yeah, yeah. like i just you know the walking dead like i can appreciate that on a storytelling level like it's an incredible feat like you know who gets a hundred plus issues these days and i think it's a great story it's just like so bleak and it's so dark yeah, it, and it's relentlessly grim yeah it is yeah. and it just like doesn't have a point to it which i guess in a way is kind of a po the point too and i've really burnt out of that style of comics just you know the constant this will change the world forever this will yeah. change the multiverse forever like everything is just so high stakes and everything winds up not being that high stakes in the end and like i like those stories too from time to time but it just got to a point where like i didn't want to follow those stories anymore and i was kind of just like more interested in self-contained stories uh and i still read like you know serialized things from time to time and uh i tend to be more of a trade rate waiter for those things now but i just it's hard sometimes to kind of keep up with the doom and gloom like when you kind of just like feel a bit beaten down by the world around you day to day you know <laughs> yeah uh, i yeah, want to I escape i completely <laughs> understand that um so i'll just wanted to ask you about your your, your future project you've got uh paranorvan um, coming out and um, oh my gods uh, mm -hmm. to the forgotten maze in uh, January. So um, I was just wondering if you if you wanted to kind of, oh and you've got pillow talk yeah as well. So yeah, so if you wanted to just um, maybe uh, tell our listeners a little bit about each of those. Yeah, for sure. I love talking, so like <laughs> honestly, I could go on forever. Um, but yeah, so. Paranorthern is the story of a young witch and her three friends who are a witch girl, a, a ghost, and a pumpkin head, which is a sentient pumpkin. And uh, basically one day, Abby accidentally opens up a portal to an alternate dimension and chaos bunnies uh, come forth and they start causing chaos. Have you seen Lilo and Stitch? Of course. Okay, so... These bunnies are like Stitch. Like, they're not inherently necessarily evil. They're just, you know, like mischievous. They just so, like to party. Yeah. yeah, they like to party and like chew through wires and chew through car tires and just cause like ultimate chaos. So Abby is like really afraid so that she'll be in trouble for this. And so her and her friends decide that they need to stop the, wait for it, a hop calypse. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so uh, they team up and uh, find a way to make everything right in their town of North Haven. So uh, that is out in July. And then, oh my God, two, The Forgotten Maids is out in January. And that is about a maze that is in the bottom of their junior high. Uh, and who lies in the center of the maze? Which, if you know anything about Greek mythology, might be a little bit like, you know, mm. you might know. But <laughs> yeah. um, we have like a fun little kind of like twist on it. It involves video games and, uh, you know, other 
modern stuff that Karen from New Jersey is bringing to Mount Olympus. Um, and then Pillow Talk is not out until 2023. So that one's like a long ways away. Yeah. Uh, but that's my first YA story. So um, I've been dabbling in the wonderful world of middle grade and mm. writing for that. And Pillow Talk is a story about an underground pillow fight league, uh, which is a very real thing and is based on a true story in which I accidentally once got roped into being in a pillow fight league that was like being filmed for the BBC who was what? coming to Toronto and we needed to do this like event. And I thought it would just be like pillow fighting. But it turned out to be like roller derby and anything goes as long as the pillow is the first point of contact. I saw, oh, what's that comedian? He did the, he's Sri Lankan, Ramesh. Ram Ranganathan. Yes, he was yeah. the host of the show. And I saw a petite little woman who was like 5'1", put him in a pillow chokehold. I have video what of this. What is going on right now? Is this real? It is real. It's called the PFL, the Pillow Fight League. And so I wrote a fictional world in which this has taken off. And it's like a thing kind of akin to roller derby. Uh, and in the real world, I fought in two pillow fights and I rolled my ankle and I thought I broke it and I had to go to the ER <laughs> to <laughs> oh, try. No. I had to try and like then tell them how I thought I broke my ankle. It's like, well, I was in an extreme pillow fight league. <laughs> and they were like, excuse me? Yeah. Um, Did they admit and administer any um, drugs tests? Yeah. <laughs> he was like, the, the nurse was remarkably nice. and was like, whoa, that's like really cool. He was like young and like, awesome but i was definitely dreading going because i was like i don't want to have to explain this but uh yeah so pillow talk is about a woman named grace uh and she has to explore kind of coming out of her shell a little bit and exploring the world beyond uh through this league and by getting invested in it which i've melded a little bit more kind of wrestling wwe into it than it's actually kind of in the real PFL, which is kind of defunct at the moment, but that will be out in 2023. It was like, I don't think I actually explained what the story <laughs> is. Oh, you got me like, hooked. <laughs> yeah. It's about a pillow fight league is the bottom line. Okay. Yeah. Cole, have you got any more questions you want to um, put to Stephanie? Um, I think we're pr going pretty long. I think we should, you can do your classic final question if you'd like there, Fred. Oh, what's, what's my classic final, final uh, question? I'll do it oh, this yeah. time. It's my yeah, first yeah. time. Yeah. Uh, is there anything that we didn't ask you that you'd like to talk about or that we should have asked you? Oh, I mean, again, I love to talk. Like I could just talk forever. Uh, but I, I think you, you both did a great job. I don't think I have anything else to intentionally, you know, ramble about <laughs> okay that's that sounds um uh, pretty good thank you so much for um taking uh the time out of your day to um speak to us it is uh we, we i think i can speak for carl we both really enjoyed um talking to you and your, your projects sound oh, yeah. really exciting um uh for for our listeners we've had a few 
technical issues with the the last two episodes that we recorded they were eaten by zencast and we're trying to recover them at the moment <laughs> so we might need to re-record those episodes um uh just a selfish um uh, a selfish self-plug um uh, i've got two podcasts coming out so i'm going to be doing the new season of inconstant that's launching um next month i think and um audiobookish my audiobook review podcast um has a few episodes out so if you could please subscribe to that as well cole anything else to say uh not really stephanie thank you so much for coming it was really awesome interview really appreciate it thank you for having me this was great okay thank you guys um see you on the other side thanks guys bye thanks